I'm Devorah Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. I want to thank Lynn Pasternak for sponsoring this class and for her support of the podcast, Accessing Your Best Self which she tells me provides her with a lot of inspiration. So I want to thank Lynn. I don't know if she's on this morning or if we've ever met in person, but I want to thank you so much for your support and encouragement. And of course, I'm also giving this class in gratitude for a new healthy granddaughter born to us after Shabbos to our eldest son and daughter-in-law, Aaron and Abby Bale. And... Very apropos, we're going to be continuing now in the Shemona Esri with the eighth bracha in the request section. It's the um, eighth bracha in the Shemona Esri, and it's all about refua. And um, you need a lot of refuot these days. There are many people who are, God forbid, who are unfortunately suffering with one illness or another, some of them unrelated to COVID, some of them, yes, related to COVID. So we want to wish a Rafua Shalema, just a few names, Rifka Gittel, Bas Yehuda, Shlomo Noach, Ben Bracha Fega, Alter Mordechai, Ben Fredel, and anybody else that you have in mind. Um, we can learn this morning in their merit. Uh, I wanted to say also Rachel Bas Fremit Gittel, and anybody else that you have in mind. So um, recently, not so long ago, a true story, a man came home from the hospital after having been on a ventilator for about three months, COVID-related, obviously. And as they were leaving the hospital, the hospital handed them a bill. And when the man took a look at the bill, he could not believe the sum, the enormous sum that they owed the hospital for three months on a ventilator. And he started to cry. Mm -hmm. And his wife turned to him and said, what are you crying about? Don't worry. The bill's been paid. And he said, no, no, I'm not crying because of the bill. I'm crying because I can't believe how much it costs for me to breathe for three months on a machine. And what I'm realizing is that all my life, Hashem has been allowing me to breathe and now I have an idea, just a small inkling of how much I owe him for every single breath that I take. So just a bit of a wake up gratitude call, right? How much it would cost to be in a ventilator on a, on a, in a hospital room, God forbid, Loa Lenu. And how Hashem is giving us air to breathe, water to drink, a roof over our heads. And all of these things we cannot take for granted because every moment of life is precious and God willing, we have a lot to do and a lot to accomplish. Okay, this bracha comes out to be the eighth bracha on Rafua because the number eight, as we know, is the number that uh, represents bris mila. So this bracha has a little bit to do with Avram Avinu because we know that Avraham was the first to have a bris mila. And Rafua uh, is always represented by the number eight because eight is Lamala Min Hateva. Eight is the number above nature. Seven is the number of nature. 
And eight is the number of above nature. And we say that refua comes through the doctor, comes through the medicine, but ultimately they are just shlichim. They are just the messengers for refua, which is really a supernatural thing that really uh, refua comes from Hashem ultimately. And that's why it's the eighth bracha to represent that refua recovering from an illness is um, something that comes from a very high spiritual source. So we know that the um, Mila, the eighth bracha and Mila uh, is telling us about the operation of bris Mila, which requires healing. And this bracha, Baruch HaTashem, Rofecho Basar Mufila Asot, this bracha, that you, Hashem, are the one who heals the sick of his people, Israel, was said by the angel Raphael after seeing the healing of Avraham. And the rabbis teach us that we should think of Avraham during this bracha. Okay, maybe you've heard the story, Rabbi Pesach Krohn, who's a great storyteller and a wonderful man. He also is a moyel. And um, he tells, tells a story about how he once did a bris, Erev Shabbos. And he told the couple, listen, I'm not going to be able to see the baby. Usually I come and see the baby the next day, but I'm, you know, it's going to be Shabbos. But let's make up a little thing here in case you have any worries or there's something going on with the baby that you're worried about I want you to ring the phone two times on Shabbos and then hang up and I will know that I should come over anyway Shabbos is uh, Shabbos afternoon already and Rabbi Crone hasn't heard anything from them then all of a sudden the phone rang it rang once and just one time and, and that was it Anyway, he figured, I don't know, maybe it's them, but I can't be sure. So you know what? I'll walk over to their house just to check. Anyway, he got to, he got to the home of this young, new mother and father. And, um, and they were surprised to see him. And he said, you know, I got a phone call. It was only one ring, but I figured maybe it was you. And I figured I'll come by and, and, and uh, I came by because I thought it was you. Anyway. So he said, and while I'm here, you know, I might as well check on the baby. So he walked in, he walked into the baby's room, he opened up the baby's diaper and the baby, there was blood everywhere and the baby had been hemorrhaging. Mm -hmm. So this is a double entendre story. It's the idea again of Hashem being in charge of the refuah mm -hmm. and the hashkacha pratis, right? The hashkacha, the divine providence that God brought Rabbi Krohn to the house when he needed to be there. Mm -hmm. So this is um, okay. So again, why number eight? We said this number seven is considered to be the height of perfection and sanctity within nature. But number eight is above nature. Just like the Jewish people were called Lamala Min Hateva, we are above nature. We exist above nature. We have the source for this in the Chumash. 
when Hashem tells Avraham to go outside and he's explaining to Avraham that his descendants are going to be as many as the stars in heaven. And the Meforshim there say, Rashi says the idea of go outside is he's telling Avraham, we, you have to go outside the laws of nature to understand who the Jewish people, who the people that are going to come from you are going to be. Mm-hmm. The same way your son Yitzchak is going to be born miraculously, right? From a mother and father who are long beyond the years of childbirth. So too, the people that you will spawn will live a supernatural type of existence. And we talked about that last week when we talked a bit about redemption, that the Jewish people survive because we are the Malamina Teva, we're above nature. So the idea too is that Hashem is the one who sends illness. All illness comes from Hashem. And since Hashem is the one who sends illness, he should also be the one who uh, cures it. You should heal it. Now, if this is true, what place do doctors have in our understanding of how we should see doctors in terms of Jewish tradition? So there's actually two different points of view, and it's a disagreement. It's, it's a machloket between the Ramban, Ramban and the Rambam, the Rambam. Okay, so according to the Ramban, which is Nachmanides, he says, if a person is living a truly godly life, then he has no need for doctors or medicine. Physical ailments are symptomatic of diseases of the soul. And that's why in olden times, at Sadiq, when he would get sick, he would call up a prophet. He would call up the local Navi, right? He would call up the local prophet for spiritual advice. In other words, if all of my limbs, all of my bones, all of my sinews correspond to the, to the 613 mitzvot, right? We know there's 248 positive mitzvot, 365 negative mitzvot. And we're told that every mitzvah corresponds to a different limb of our body, a different sinew of our body. Then if there's something wrong in your body, it means that there's something that is um, lacking in terms of mitzvah observance, in terms of your spiritual health. So the Ramban says, what share do doctors have in the home of those who do Hashem's will? Okay, so we have one extreme opinion over there. Now, what does the Rambam say? The Rambam is always the rationalist, okay? He's always our down-to-earth rationalist. And the Rambam says, medical care is a primary basic need like eating and breathing. Only a fool would decline medical attention and rely solely on Hashem. Now, Rav Dessler, who's a more uh, modern rabbi who lived during our generation, he explains in his Sefer, Mikhtav Mieliyahu, which in, in English is, is um, translated as strive for truth. Mikhtav really means letters from Eliyahu, but he says that both the Ramban and the Rambam are correct. He says it really depends who you are. If you're at Sadiq, you can rely on Hashem. 
Okay, don't get don't get excited yet. We're going to go into this more. Okay, but if you're a Bainoni, right? If you're like sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes with the program, sometimes forgetting the program, like all of us, like regular people, right? Then you have to rely on the doctors because they are the emissaries of Hashem. And today, Rav Dessler explains that no one is on the level that the Ramban is describing. No one is considered to be a tzaddik. We also don't live in a time of Naveen. So we are spiritual ants compared to our ancestors. And um, today, everybody, he says, is in need of Tehillim, right? The, the traditional prayers that we say when somebody's sick and doctors. And not only that, but, the, but Rav Dester goes to, so far to say that today it is sinful in capital letters not to call a doctor. However, and this is the difficult part, and this is where we get back into bitachon, right? We talked a lot, lot about this when we were learning bitachon for eight, nine months. So we're all pros. We're all experts at bitachon now. We took the bitachon vaccine, right? The idea is, is that the Rashba explains, sorry. The Rashba explains that we have to use medicine and doctors, but we also have to realize at the same time that it's Hashem who heals us. Doctor and medicine are tools in Hashem's hand, but a person should make every effort. Not only that, we have to make every effort to find the best doctor, right? We have to search the world for the best doctor, spend whatever money we need to spend to find that doctor, go to the ends of the earth for that, and yet, at the same time, while we're making all that hishtadlut, we're making all those efforts, we have to understand that it's ultimately Hashem who decides to heal. So we talked about this idea in Bitachon, that it's like breaking the vessel and holding the wine. Right? Sounds like something completely antithetical to one another. But that's what the practice of Bitachon is. On the one hand, as somebody put it, you have to do as if it all depends on you. And you have to believe and pray to Hashem as if it all depends on him. So that's the, that's the um, work, the skill of bitachon. And that takes a lot of effort and a lot of work. The whole time that you're taking the medicine, or God forbid, you're taking the chemotherapy. And it seems to be destroying you as opposed to making you well. You have to believe it's not the chemotherapy. It's not the fantastic hospital that I wound up at. But ultimately, it's Hashem who is going to make the medicine work. And as we said, that's why many people say a special prayer, even before they take a simple aspirin. They say a Yehi Ratzon, asking that it should be Hashem's will that this medicine that I'm taking, that these herbs that I'm taking, whatever it is that we're taking, that they should make us well. And, um, you know, a lot of our wellness has to do with that. Oh. Yes. Go ahead, Renee. Are you at some before taking the vaccine? Yeah, there are actually, there's a video going out on WhatsApp of people in Israel before they're getting the vaccine they're saying the Yehi Ratzon. There was a video. Did anybody see that one? 
Didn't they were saying anything. the video, they were saying the Yihirat song before taking the vaccine. They said, Rak Yisrael, you know, they had, it was incredible. Mm -hmm. Anyway, but yeah, anything, you know what? People take it for an aspirin, Hashem, you know, I mean, with even without the thing, you know, my husband always talked about, isn't it incredible you take something and it knows to go to your leg? Like, how did it know to go to your leg or to your head? <laughs> or, or, you know, like, it's so amazing. Incre it's incredible. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that, you know, if you were an alien from outer space and somebody was explaining medicine to you, you they'd be like, that's miraculous. So, so there is uh, the fact that we, we need to take the medicine and we have to believe, again, the medicine is just the tax. It's the tax that we have to pay. It's the hishtadlut that we have to make. But if we could go back to Hanukkah, you know, it's like Rabbi Hanina Bendosa, who said to his daughter when she said, Tati, we don't have any more oil left in the house. And, you know, Rabbi Hanina Bendosa, who was probably went to the Navi instead of the doctor, said, listen, the same doctor that says oil should lay, no, he said, go get some vinegar, put vinegar in the menorah. Because he said, because the same doctor that says oil can light, should light, can also say vinegar should light. So when you're on this kind of living on number eight and you see through, right, nature to a higher place, to the place of metaphysics, to the place of supra-rational, if you like, and you're really living and holding at that place, which again, we're told that there's nobody in our generation that is, and perhaps you can forego doctors and forego medicine. But until that day, it's a mitzvah to go to the doctor and to find the best one. Okay, we also have an expression, if you've heard this in the Gemara, which is very puzzling. It says the best of doctors go to Gehenna. They're not going to heaven. They're going the opposite way. Now, why would we say that? My goodness, why would we say the best doctors go to you know where? Um. Because so, they think that it's their talent that saves exactly. their, their how, patients. How good is that? The best doctors go to hell. Okay, I'll tell you why. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you a personal story now, I think. Um, so, I don't know if you're aware, but we are living in a country right now in Canada. And for you New Yorkers, you'll not believe this, but Canada has now become the number one country in the entire world to practice euthanasia. It means that basically anybody can ask to die. It's called Bill C-7. It's known as MAID, which means medical assistance in dying. And it's incredible what is going on here. So a lot of the Orthodox doctors and rabbis and just people in general a lot of people from the special needs community who are very worried about this slippery slope type of law, because it's basically saying that if you don't feel that you have any quality of life, you can come in, you can get yourself a shot within one day, I think now, and you can say goodbye. And this is how easy they are going to be making it in Canada to be able to stop living. So I just wanted to let you know, I, I, there is a lot that you can do. Um, the reason I'm talking about this in terms of the best doctors go to Gehenna 
is just what Rhonda said. I experienced this, um, this um, law made medical assistance in dying when my mother got sick. They had just passed it for the first time. And it was at the same time that we took my mother to the hospital in emergency to one of the best hospitals in, 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 in uh, Toronto, a Jewish hospital, Mount Sinai, right? And of course, we didn't know very much. We didn't, you know, we're not doctors. But what we finally understood was that instead of trying to save my mother's life, the palliative care was coming every single morning, five or six of them at a time together. I used to say like a pack of wolves at eight in the morning. Okay, like my sister and I would joke, I don't know if somebody came to me at eight in the morning some days, I'd also say, sure, give me the shot. You know, they came to my mother and said, oh, Mrs. Monson, you know, are you in pain? Would you like us to up your medication? Would you like us to give you a little more? And of course, we didn't know anything. Sure, mom, we don't want you to be in pain. And eventually they were upping it and upping it so that my mother couldn't get out of bed. She was all doped up. She was very happy, you know, but she couldn't get out of bed. Of course, eating became until finally her main doctor told, had a meeting with all of us saying that we want to stop giving her liquids. I mean, she was still able to eat and drink and they wanted to stop with the liquids. So this is when we knew that something was terribly wrong and we got her out of the hospital, but I just want to tell you that I turned to one of the student doctors who announced to us that she's going to die today or tomorrow. I said to him, do you know the difference between God and the doctor? God doesn't think he's a doctor. And that is the reason why when doctors make pronouncements like this, anyway, as many of you know, my mother went on to live another year and three months from the time that they were basically trying to end her life. I wrote an article on, that's going to be printed on H.com all about what's going on in Canada. Let me just tell you a little bit about this. I'm just going to read you this and you can read my letter online. In June 2016, Canada legalized euthanasia and assisted suicide, referred to as medical assistance in dying. In under four years, 13,000 people have died by euthanasia. This wow. represents about 2% of all deaths in Canada, a number that will rise substantially under a new bill, C7, that is currently being proposed. Canada's rate has increased more rapidly than other permissive jurisdictions is and is approaching current rates in the Netherlands and Belgium, where euthanasia has been legal for almost 20 years. With this new bill, these are some of the changes that are going to happen. Death does not have to be reasonably foreseeable. Those who are not dying can end their lives. A 90-day waiting period when death is not foreseeable is proposed, while just to see a psychiatrist in this country takes more than 90 days. When death is reasonably foreseeable, a 10-day waiting period between a request for assisted suicide and its execution allows uh, to allow for a change of heart is a limited. By the way, in 2019, there were 263 such requests within this 10-day period that people took back what that they wanted to kill themselves and decided not to. 
However, under this new bill, a, per a person can be diagnosed, assessed, and euthanized all in one day. You can't even get an x-ray in this country in one day. You can't get an MRI for the life of you unless you go over to Buffalo quickly, right? Doctors will face sanctions. This is what the from doctors are, are and, and the reli any religious doctors or any doctors that believe in the Hippocratic Oath still, that we're here to save lives, not to help people die. As I used to say to these doctors and my mother, I'd say, listen, I, I, can, I, didn't, I can go to medical school too to learn how to kill people. That's not hard. What do you, you, you know, you need to be smart to go to medical school and learn how to kill people? Anyway, the last thing is that doctors, okay, if a doctor has a patient that they believe can live, as my mother did for a month, a year and three months more, had two grandchildren married and three great-grandchildren born during that time and lived an incredible quality of life, mostly out of the hospital, okay? Do a doctor who refuses when the patient says, you know what, I want to die tomorrow, if the doctor says, well, I don't think you need to, I think that you could, you know, have a quality of life. If she refuses to send that patient to a doctor who will do the job, she can lose her license in Canada to, to practice. Okay. All right. Um, I think that uh, says a lot about why the best doctors could possibly go to Gehenna. <laughs> Uh, we've got a new take on it, but that's the point of this Gemara. It applies to the arrogance of some doctors who believe the results of a person's wellness are completely in their hands and never turn to Hashem to guide them. I know I've had friends, and I'm sure you know people, who they actually, before a surgery or whatever, they actually ask the doctor to pray with them. You know, do you mind or do you mind if I say a prayer and, you know, will you, you know, would you want to say a prayer? And there are people who do this because they want the doctor to understand, you know, it's not you. God is guiding your hand for this to be successful. Yes, you are the messenger, but, you know, we need to also, okay. It also applies to a doctor who doesn't allow for a second opinion, if you've ever met those doctors or who don't care enough about the patient, for example, because the patient is poor, right? They may not be able to pay the bill. Or the doctors who cause a patient to give up hope, like the one that my mother had, who tells them how long they have to live. I just wanna tell you because, you know, no matter what you read that I wrote, it's never as dramatic as the reality. But they were coming every morning to my mother and giving her more and more medication. And then one day, just to give you an example of my mother, which we were just shocked because she was so, like, interested in dying. You know, she kept saying, gee, if I had known dying was this good, I would have done this a long time ago. <laughs> I mean, she got so funny, you know. Or my husband came in one morning and said, Ma, I said a Misha Berach for you this morning in shul. And she said, you're the one. Will you stop that? Will you stop doing that? Anyway, she was just enjoying it so much. You know, who wouldn't? I mean, she was high as a kite, right? But then one day they came in and my mother looked at them and she said, they were, they were you know, saying, how about a little more medicine, Mrs. Monson? And she goes, 
no, I don't think I want more medicine. And she said, you know what? I think you're trying to kill me. Uh I think you're trying to kill me. Anyway, that was the day where we realized, oh my God, my mother understands what's going on. We were trying to chase out the uh, palliative, but listen to this. They had already put a catheter in my mother because she wasn't able to get up to go to the bathroom, of course. And my mother that day says to the nurse, get this catheter out of me. And the nurse says, oh no, Mrs. Monson, we can't do that. We are not allowed to do that. You're gonna have to wait for the doctor in the morning. My mother said to her, you get this catheter out of me right now or I'm gonna rip it out. And she was like, whoa, okay, don't worry, we're doing it, we're doing it, we're doing it, okay? So that was the beginning of everything. We just whisked her out of that hospital. We got her to Dr. Ellen Warner, if you know, wonderful Ellen, from oncologist. And she took my mother. She couldn't believe the shape she arrived in because they really had stopped giving her oxygen. They'd stopped giving her anything, especially when they knew that we were taking her out. And Ellen came to her bedside two days later and said to my mother, Mrs. Monson, I'm going to have you back on the tennis courts in the spring. (laughs) And even though my mother never got back on the tennis courts and she was a champion tennis player up to the age of 84, championship I mean like you know medals and trophies and all that stuff Um, that kind of hope that kind of positivity that's so important about a doctor who knows that they're working as a messenger of God and so the reason I'm telling you this and the reason that I wrote it and of course the Uh, They're telling us, if you've got the thing from Ira Wallfish, that everybody should be writing the senators. I actually wrote a letter to all the senators. I sent them my personal story, and one of them wrote back, only one, very short. He said, did you ever file a complaint against this supposed treatment by the doctors? So, of course, I wrote back trying to be politically correct, but I couldn't help myself. I said, and I really didn't appreciate... um, your use of the word supposed. I said, it really makes me see what we're up against. You know, like supposed, like, you know, you you made this whole story up, right? So anyway, okay, so that's why, because we say the Talmud tells us that even if a sword is at your neck, you're never supposed to give up hope of salvation. There's a story I remember hearing, you know, and this is obviously uh, you have to believe to to believe the story. But there's a story about a man who was at the end of his life and he was on a machine. He was on a ventilator or a machine that was keeping him going. But according to Halacha, there was a chance that he would come back. And of course, his kids had a meeting and this meeting is going to be even quicker today in Canada where they said, you know what, let's just let Pop go. You know, he's worth a lot of money. We can speed things up a little bit, you know, know, and who's got time to take care of him? We're all busy, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, so let's just pull the plug on him. It'll be fine. Anyway, so, you know, they took the plug out. And a couple months later, one of the sons, you know, had a dream. And Pop came back to him in the dream. And he said, I can't believe you guys did that. I just can't believe it. 
Why? He said, because you don't understand. Every second of life in this world is precious. Whether you've got quality of life, you don't have quality of life, whether you're in pain. Listen, thank God today you're in pain. They have medicines that take you right out of your pain. You imagine in the olden days when you were dying and you were suffering, there was nothing to relieve you. And people still live till the end of their life. They didn't kill themselves, right? Jump out a window. But the point is, is that we live in such an incredible time that we really can live till the end of our lives pretty comfortably. And yet, as my, I'll go back to this. My sister-in-law said, as we were leaving my, the hospital one day, and my sister-in-law, who's a doctor, she said to me, I, I, I hate to be crude, Deb, but they need the bed. That's what it all comes down to. They need the bed. And this is what it all comes down to is scarce resources in Canada. Because they say if they would put money into proper palliative care, which, is, which was traditionally palliative care was to take care of you when you're coming to the end of your life, not to hasten the end of your life, which is what they've become in Canada. Okay, so anyway, they, took the, they, they come back to this man in a dream. The man comes back to the, this, this son in a dream. And he says, I can't believe you pulled the plug because don't you understand, if I had lived another few days, even on that machine, I would have been in a completely different place in Olam Haba. I would have been in a complete, I would have had a completely different apartment, okay? I would have had six bedrooms instead of three. And I would have had two bathrooms. No, I'm just kidding. The point is, is you don't understand every second of life in this world has to do with where the soul is going in the next world. Mm -hmm. And when you play oh, God and you decide oh, when my life is supposed to end, when it's not according not to halacha, because by the way, there is an idea in Jewish law that it is considered cruel to keep a person alive when they are going naturally to their death. So only a great, only a rabbi who is very well versed in halacha can advise people during this time. You know, my sister and I would both share an earphone and we'd be, you know, in a closet listening to Rabbi Lowy tell us what to do with my mother. And that's really otherwise, there's no way we would have known what was going on. There's no way we would have understood what they were doing. You know, he kept saying, and don't let them give her morphine because morphine makes the heart stop. Okay, and I'm sorry if I'm, if I'm arousing any upset in people that unfortunately went through this and, you know, perhaps didn't know. Um, but anyway, I went through it and I feel, uh, I feel that it's my responsibility to educate as much as I can. And um, okay, so yeah, that's the idea. We don't know about life in this world. We don't know about, number one, we believe that someone who saves one person, it's as if they save the entire world. And as Jews, of course, right? Somebody just sent me something that the word Chaim, life, has a Yud Yud in the middle of it, which is God's name. Because God is should be the center of everything that we do in this world in terms of treating our bodies and our souls properly. So another idea that I want to go on to is the importance of prayer together with medicine. 
So many years ago, I don't know if it still exists, but there was a Dr. Herbert Benson and he was um, studying the effects of prayer on recovery from illness. There's a clinic at Harvard called the Mind Body Clinic. Anyway, it was incredible. What he found is that studies showed that people who were prayed for did much, much better than people who were not prayed for. And not only that, people who were prayed for who didn't even know they were being prayed for, mm -hmm. that was another study, right? Still did better than the people who weren't being prayed for at all. So this is like real research showing that prayer, the efficacy of prayer, you know, as my mother kept saying, will you stop saying that Misha Beirach already? And I joked, I said, Mom, I wish we all believed in the efficacy of prayer the way you do. You know, you're keeping me alive. Stop it, right? If we all really believed it the way we're meant to. Another idea is that when you pray for someone else's health, it helps you if your health is ailing, right? We know that from the Torah, that when we pray for others, especially for the same thing that we need when it comes to health, and wellness, we need a shidduch, we need a baby, we need parnasa, whatever it is. When you govern for somebody else who's in the same situation, God says, I'll answer you first. Right? And there are many stories about that. And the Talmud says it's important to pray to Hashem for health before you even get sick. And that's why we say this prayer every single day in Shemona Esrei. Because we have to understand something. For Hashem to keep us healthy, that's already asking from Hashem. And there's an idea that once you get sick, you have to, it, it's much, much harder to get better, to get Hashem to make you better, as opposed to Hashem keeping you well. Now, there's nothing that's difficult for Hashem. But what we mean by this is that you need a lot more zechuyos and a lot more merits if you've already fallen into a state of illness, for God to use your merits to make you better again. So we'd rather not fall into a state of illness, but rather ask Hashem to continue to make us well. And obviously we should have enough merits that we don't need to learn whatever lessons one learns from, you know, not being able to do, not being well, I mean, this is a big topic for me because I was a patient for many years. At 35 years old, I, I was diagnosed. I had no, no idea. I was pregnant with my fifth child. And um, the, the point is, I don't know what the point is. I'm so tired. <laughs> the point is that... Um, That I remember somebody saying to me, and I thought it was brilliant, somebody, you know, because when, you, when you're not well, right, you feel like, oh, I can't believe it. I can't do this, and I can't do that. And if I was well, I'd be able to take care of my kids. I'd be able to, you know, go to shul. I'd be able to do all these mitzvahs, God. Why are you not making me well? I want to be able to serve you. I want to be able to do for you. Why, why would you put me in my bed for two years or whatever? So somebody once said to me, they said, you know, your avodas Hashem right now is to be a patient, is to be sick. That's what God wants from you. 
you are going to serve him from your bed. You know, you're going to do the best you can from this place. And that's what he wants from you right now. And you know what? That just totally put a whole reframe on it. Instead of feeling like, oh, I'm being held back. I'm being punished. I'm whatever. All the different things that people go through when they have some kind of setback. Thanks, Henya. Um, you know, to say, well, you know what? This is exactly how Hashem wants you to be now. And this is what the world needs. And this is what you need. And this is your avoda Hashem right now to get well, to do the best that you can with the situation that you have. So I'm just giving you another reframe. Okay. So let's go to the actual prayer now. Okay. Rafa'enu Hashem b'nei Rafa'. Let's read the prayer. For those of you who have a sitter, very helpful because you can really see how intricate prayers are and how each word is chosen with Ruach HaKodesh. We're going to see see why this is with divine inspiration. Okay. Rafa'enu Hashem b'nei Rafa'i. Heal us, Hashem, and then we will be healed. Hoshienu v'nivashea. Save us, then we will be saved. Hitehilatenu ata, for you are our praise. Okay, we're going to talk about why, what that means. Bring complete recovery for all our ailments. Because you, God, are the king. And by the way, that word melech is not used in a lot of brachas in, um, in, in the middle of the bracha. Okay. You are God, king, and the faithful and compassionate healer. Baruch Hashem. Blessed are you, Hashem. Rofei chole amo Yisrael who heals the sick of his people, Israel. Okay, so Rifa'enu Hashem b'nei Rafei, heal us Hashem and then we will be healed. What does that mean? So the Zohar says, the Zohar, which is a book of mystical writings, right? Kabbalah, we're learning Kabbalah, ladies. Don't levitate off your chairs. Okay. <laughs> if you heal us, Hashem will be a complete healing. Means if an angel or doctor heals us, it could only be partial or temporary. But when you heal us, it's permanent, right? When it comes straight from the Kisei HaKavod, okay? It also means heal us from pre-existing conditions and ailments. Keep us healthy. Immunize us and protect us. So the source for using doctors, I just want to mention, is a two words that appear in the Torah that are virapo yirapa. And instead of the soft fey sound, we have the, the peh, the pay, right? That has the little dot in the middle. And that little dot in the middle is supposed to represent the injection, <laughs> the place of pain. Okay? Mm -hmm. In this prayer, however, we only use the soft fey, the soft fey sound, because we're asking Hashem in this prayer that whatever medical treatment we need should be gentle and painless. Okay? 
And then it says, Hoshienu Veniva Shea, save us and then we will be saved. It sounds redundant. What does that mean? Why do we say save us and then we will be saved, heal us and then we will be healed? But saying here, save us spiritually and then we won't even have to suffer physically. So there's two levels of saving. Because as we said earlier, physical illness is sometimes a symptom of spiritual failure. And there is a source for that, an idea that if a person pledges tzedakah, one of the first places that the rabbis will tell you to look if you become seriously ill is if a person pledges tzedakah and doesn't make good on their pledge, it's a possibility of, of unfortunate of illness, of becoming ill. God has to like... Okay. So that's one of the first places people will look. Let's say if they get sick, they'll say, oh my gosh, let me think. Did I make a pledge to tzedakah and I didn't actually, um, you know, make good on it? And they'll take care of it. Okay, why? Because we say tzedakah tetziomi mabes, right? We all know that phrase from Rosh Hashanah. Tshuva tefila u tzedakah. That tzedakah saves a person from literally from death. In the morning brachas, we talk about, um, very interesting, I think it's the chasm sofer, the end of the morning brachas, we list all of the, all of the brachas. There it is. I can't believe it. I can't think Where does it say the Talmud Torah Kenegad Kulam? Who's got that? Ela Devarim Shadam Ochel Protehem Olam Hazer Karen Kayemet Lola Olam Hazer. Oh, there it is. The Elu Haim. Sorry. Kibbut of the Aim, right? It lists all the brachas. Kibbut of the Aim, honoring your parents. Milut chasadim, acts of kindness. Hashkamat beit hamidrash, getting up early for shul in the morning, going in the evening. Hachnasat orchim, having guests. Ubikur cholim, visiting the sick. The hachnasat kala, uvayad hamid, helping a needy bride and then accompanying the dead. Right? We have a mitzvah to walk um, after a at a funeral when they're taking the coffin out. It's a mitzvah to walk behind. So the Chassam Sofer asked the famous question. He says, I don't understand. It says, visit the sick, right? Then it says, help a needy bride. And then it says, accompany the dead. He said, it doesn't make sense. Why do you need help the needy bride in between visiting the sick and accompanying the dead? It should, you know, it makes sense. It should be Biker Cholim and then Leviathamek. If they don't make it, you're going to be at their funeral, right? So what the Chassam Sofer says is the reason that Hachnasas Kala is in the middle is it's teaching you, but, you, you know, you got sick, but if you help a needy bride, meaning if you give tzedakah, it can prevent you from levayatamate. Okay. Okay? So that's just, now you'll know when you're saying those morning brachas, you know, why it is that hachnasas kala comes between bikr cholim and levayatamate. You can 
tell everybody at the Shabbos table next week. Okay. So All right. So those are the morning brachas. That's why. Okay. Achola. Where does the word chola come from? Sick. It comes from the word chol. It comes from the word halal, which means a vacuum. Chol means a place where there's a lack of sanctity, where there is a void of sanctity, a void of sanctity, physical debilitation takes place. So the chola is somebody where there's, there's some kind of vacuum spiritually. And because of that, the physical person can be, you know, Hashem can use a, a correction for the person through physical ailment of some kind. Of course, we don't understand this anymore. We don't have Naveen. We can't go to a Navi and say, why do I have a headache? Why did I hurt my shoulder? Why did I, you know, break my leg? We can't go to a Navi and the Navi could say, well, you know, this is why. This is what you need to correct. This is what needs work. We don't have that anymore. They say that you could go to a Navi and Navi could tell by your face what you're tough kid in this world was what's your life i remember I remember once in new york you know in my old days i remember we were walking in greenwich village or something and there was somebody with a sign that said come and have your wrinkles red i don't think i had any i was about i was about 20 you know i don't know if i had any wrinkles but to read now i could go you know i get my money's worth but you know <laughs> i do more <laughs> you know but you know, like that's what they could do. They could look at your face and they could tell uh, by your face what you're talking, what your mission is in this world. Uh, okay, so, um, and then we say, Hashem, you are our praise. Why do we say this in the middle of this bracha? What does praising Hashem have to do with good health? So, one idea is that when we praise Hashem, when we dove into Hashem, and we put all of our kochos into the davening, and we dove into Hashem with our passions aflame, this holy spiritual fire that we create inside ourselves not only purifies our soul, it purges our character and cleanses our body. So it's like a, a complete spa, okay? When you really dove in and you're completely in the flow, as they like to say, okay? You're completely focused on Hashem and you've completely subjugated and abnegated yourself and you're totally pulled by the passion of your neshama, right? The soul inside of you connecting to the soul outside of you. Then it's actually a purification of the body. And that can, that's what we mean. Another idea is that you are a praise. We're saying, Hashem, you don't need to make me sick. You don't need to make us sick. We'll praise you in good health. We don't need you to make us suffer in order mm. to arouse yeah. our prayers. We'll one. pray with you to you with passion, right? Like we started this mm -hmm. class with, like the man who said, oh my gosh, for three months yeah. I've been on a ventilator and this is how much it costs. Why don't I recognize when I'm well mm -hmm. and my breaths are not seemingly costing me yeah, anything we'll do it at the time. that I should be calling out to Hashem. Florence, I'm sorry. Can I just ask you to mute yourself even though it's I love... No, no, it's okay. I'm just... Okay. 
We're also saying, Hashem, give us a complete recovery. Hashem is the healer of the highest order. Again, like we said, when he does it, it's going to be complete. And he's called Melech, king. Why king? That word rarely occurs in the Shemona Esrei in the middle of the bracha. It's emphasizing that the, though people can practice medicine, never forget that God who is, a, is the king and he's the master of all healing. So again, why does sickness occur? Because angels denounce a person for their sins Right, we know in uh, many svarim it talks about how when we do something good, we create a good angel. When we do something not so good, we create a bad angel, or we create angels that are crippled, or we create angels that don't quite—they're not quite complete because maybe we did a good deed, but maybe our t intention wasn't pure. Right? We helped somebody, but we wanted everybody to know. What a great guy we are. What a great gal we are for helping them. So, you know, it's very hard to have completely pure mitzvot. So the idea is, is that we create angels that are prosecutors. And at the end of time, when we go up to Shemayim, these angels, and not even then, even during our lifetime, they'll come and try to go in front of Hashem and prosecute us. And, you know, because of them, we're condemned to suffer in some way. Now, like we've always said, we want to suffer in tiny little ways, right? We want to bang our toe. We want to pull out the wrong change. Well, my son just told me something that happened to him that was annoying, but he said he chalked it up to that. I can't remember what it was. I don't know, going the wrong way on the highway, you know? And uh, even with the GPS, how does that happen? Or waves? ways, I don't know. But anyway, the point is, is that, you know, when a human being has some kind of suffering, it's because thing is being corrected. And so when a human being does tshuva, and he accepts Hashem as a king, remember, tshuva is all about coming back to Hashem as a vinu and as alkenu, right? Hashivenu avinu letoratecha v'karvenu malkenu labodatecha. So if we come back to Hashem because of him being the king and the master of all healing, then Hashem accepts our tshuva and all is forgiven and we don't need to suffer. Okay. Um, and the last thing we say is Hashem, you are a faithful and compassionate healer. Now, just interestingly, there's 27 words in this blessing. And this is the same number of words in the verse in Shemot where God promises to be a healer of the Jewish people. When we come out of Egypt, Hashem promises us, he says, in the future, I'm going to take away all your illnesses, all of your, right? Because a lot of Jews hobbled out of Egypt. They hobbled to Mount Sinai. Interestingly, I didn't realize this, but a lot, the reason why Jewish hospitals are called Mount Sinai is because we know that in the Torah, it says, one of the things that happened at Mount Sinai was that everybody was healed from all of their, you know, uh, workman's compensation. There was no such thing, right? So not only did we not get workman's compensation, but Hashem said, forget about it. I'm just going to make you completely whole again, right? If you were limping because you were working the construction site, you know, you were busy uh, 
putting Jewish babies between the bricks, God forbid, whatever. The point is, is we were healed at Mount Sinai. So this is the verse, 27 words in the Torah, 27 words in this bracha. Also, 27 verses in the Torah, which talk about Avram and his bris milah, the mitzvah bris milah. So that, again, is why the number eight, the number eight bracha, why this bracha talks about Avram, the, 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 the malach Rafael is the one who um, heals him. 27 letters in Mishlei. It says, for they are life to those who find them and a healing to all their flesh. And the other thing is, or maybe it's the 27th verse in Mishlei. Sorry, the 27th verse refers to healing. And 27 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, if you count all the sophites, which is an allusion to the idea that by dedicating ourselves to the fundamentals of Torah, our flesh will be healed. Okay, I just also, I wrote up um, quickly before we end in the merit of Rabbi Aaron Levine, who's been sick with COVID in the hospital, I think since the beginning of COVID, if I'm correct. So Rabbi Aaron Levine wrote a book called Beaker Holy. Beit Rufua, The Laws of Visiting the Sick. So I'm just going to give you a couple of the most important ones, and we're going to end with that. Put it. Okay, first of all, for those of you who know Zale Newman, Rabbi Zale Newman, he used to visit my mother a lot in the hospital, and he made, made it sort of a practice, he probably wouldn't like me to say this, but he's famous in Toronto for visiting everybody and getting people to funerals of people who have no family members. I think he was famous. He was in the news and all over the world news because there was some Holocaust survivor who had no family members. And on the most freezing day in Canada, in Toronto, do you remember that? Nod your head if, you know, if you're with me. And he got all, I think hundreds of people came out on this freezing day for this man who had no, no relatives and they ended up being a Holocaust survivor. Anyway, this went all over the world. But I remember he told me, you know why Beaker Cholim is the same letters as the word Boker, Boker Tov, morning? Because every time you visit somebody, it's like you're bringing the morning with you. You're bringing the morning sun, right? And he said, you know, there's a halakha that says that when you visit a person, you take away one sixtieth of their illness. Right? Why one sixtieth? One sixtieth is a halakhic measure. For example, if you have a big pot of chicken soup and more than one sixtieth of milk drops into it, then your soup isn't kosher anymore. Okay, but if less than one sixtieth, then your soup is fine. So we say that uh, Shabbos is a taste of Olam Haba, that Shabbos is 160th of Olam Haba. Okay, so when you go and visit somebody, you take away 160th of their illness. Now, Rabbi Aaron Levine in his Sefer says, it's better to visit somebody together with another person than to go by yourself, according to Halacha, if you can. 
The reason being that when there's two of you, you know, you are more able to cheer the person up and take care of all their needs. And then he recommends that you should bring children along when you can to train them with this mitzvah from a young age. Thirdly, do not enter suddenly into a sick person's room or into anybody's room for that matter, right? We learn the Torah teaches us that it's proper to knock on a door before you enter a room. We learn it from the Kohen Gadol who had pomegranates on the bottom of his, um, uh, his outfit that he wore. And these pomegranates had little bells inside of them. And the bells would ring and everybody would know the Kohen Gadol was coming. And the Torah teaches us from that that you should always warn people before you're coming. You shouldn't enter abruptly. And even people knock on the front door of their house, people who live in the house, right? Just to let somebody know I'm coming and not to startle people. So it's considered Derech Eretz. And here we learn, of course, even more so when somebody's in the hospital, you want to not just walk into the room, but because you never know what they might be busy with or whether they can't receiving visitors okay fourthly something that a lot of people don't know you're not allowed to sit on the bed of the chola we learn from Yaakov Avinu in Vayechi when he was dying that the shechina rests above the head of the sick person and therefore it's considered disrespectful to sit on the bed there's even a halakha that says you should dress respectfully because when you go and visit somebody who's sick because of the Shekhinah that's there, that's very present in the room of the sick person. Okay. Don't spend too long. I said to my husband, give me some good ones. He said, don't spend too long at the patient's bedside. They're tired. They don't want you there forever. I remember there were some people, my mother say, thank God she left. Oh my God. Oh, gee, she was here for four hours. You know, like they don't want you there for that long. Not only that, when you go and they're sleeping, the best thing you can do is leave a note. Hi, I was here. I know you traveled three hours and you took the train and you go through traffic, but to wake up a person who's sick and say, hi, I wanted you to know I came, you know, that's not what we're supposed to do. That's not considered proper beaker holding. Okay. Also, if there's a bunch of people visiting, you don't sit and schmooze with everybody else there while the person is in bed. Because again, they're tired. They only have so much energy. It is exhausting for them to just have you and other people in the room schmoozing away about, hey, did you hear about the tennis game? And yeah, you know who won the hockey game? Yeah, is it? or whatever. Okay. Pray for the person before you leave. What was that? Pray for the person. You should pray for the person, even in your own words, right? If you bring it to Hillam with you, you should sit and say to Hillam. If they're sleeping, you can do that. If you want to wait for them to wake up. And more, very, very important, do something to help them. Straighten up their pillows, bring them water, help them to sit up, ask them what they need. Okay, and that, I'm sorry, the, these halachas that we're learning should be a zechus 
for Rev. Aaron Levine, Aaron Ben Toba Eton, should have a Rafua Shalema. Thank you, Rev. Aaron, for teaching us these halachas of visiting the sick. God willing, we should none of us ever be sick. And all of those who we know who need a Rafua, God willing, they should be healed quickly and easily. Hashem should heal them. And here um, Hashem, we should leave. We should exit this coronavirus into a much, much better world. I just wanted to mention, based on last week's class, I listened to this Rabbi Manus Friedman. I'm sure some of you have heard of him. It just sort of came up on my, and he spoke about the coronavirus in light of just the most positive spin on it. Now, whether, you know, it happens or it doesn't, it was just so refreshing to hear this incredibly positive spin on where this virus is taking the world, all the positive things that have happened because of it worldwide and individually and personally. And he brings in all kinds of sources about the, the coming of Mashiach and the future world. And one thing he said that I thought was amazing, he just said that we can't even imagine how incredible it's going to be, you know? It is going to be so incredible, the time of Mashiach, which is really a time when the whole world is going to embrace the idea of the oneness of God. And like I said, ask the Jewish people to teach them Torah. But it's going to be a time that is, there's going to be so much bounty. People aren't even going to have to work anymore. Eventually, as, as the Mashiach years go on, it's going to be a time when we become more and more spiritual and more and more, have more and more... But, but this was the amazing thing that he said. It's going to be so incredible that the Jews are going to look back at all of Jewish history and they're going to be able to say it was worth it. Wow. It was really worth it. Look where we are now. Look where we are today at the end of the story. So if you can find it, 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 I mean, I don't know why I wanted to send it to, to the app and I, I couldn't find the exact one I listened to, but he has a few of them that he did at the end of last year. And it's just a, a Rabbi Manus Friedman on Mashiach. Um, and it's, it's whether you're a Lubavitcher or you're not, it's very refreshing. And um, I recommend it. So thank you for listening. I'm sorry I was a little tired. 